0: Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. On today's broadcast, Pastor John Butler speaks from the subject of Women in Ministry. And now here is Pastor John with today's message. 1
1: Timothy chapter 2. First Corinthians 14. I don't normally kind of rip a message out of the headlines, but sometimes there are things that come up on the radar screen that are so, um, that are so obviously connected to the word that we have to respond. So, uh, that's what this message is. So y'all buckle your seatbelt and, and we'll see where we go from here. First Timothy, uh, chapter two, Ladies, y'all take a deep breath with me for a second. Women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verses 34 and 35. Women should be silent during the church meetings. It's not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive, just as the law says. If they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it's improper for women to speak in the church meetings. Let's pray fast. (laughs) Father, we just, we thank you, and we, we, we know you, and we trust you, and we know your heart for everybody. And Lord, we, we pray that you would just illuminate our hearts and our minds today to understand your word for what it truly says in the full counsel of your word on every subject. Lord, not just this one, but everything we face in life. Help us, God, to seek your face honestly and openly and sincerely. Seek your word so that we can know your heartbeat towards every issue that we face in our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So earlier this week, or maybe, maybe at the end of last week, a very well-known pastor by the name of John MacArthur um, made some comments that have made the news. And, and I just want to address some of that. Now this John MacArthur is, is a very well-known pastor. He has a study Bible named after him with his notes and his opinions and his, and his insights. So, um, earlier this week, they are having a conference at the church. He pastors, I believe it's in California. And the moderator of that panel discussion decided that they want, he wanted to do a bit of word association. So he would give a topic or, or, or something to the men on the panel. And then they would just give him a one word response. And, uh, he, so he threw out the name um, and this wasn't this this wasn't an accident. He did this in, intentionally. He he threw out to the panel the name Beth Moore who is a very, also a very well-known Bible teacher. Now he had previously, uh, MacArthur had previously associated her with the word heretic. He had called her a heretic, uh, meaning that she was teaching things that go against the word of God. Uh, And he used that pretty frequently. So somebody asked me after the first service, said, what'd Beth Moore do to him? And I said, nothing, nothing special." He just just came up and he decided to go ahead because he's been, he's been kind of beating her up for a long time. Another member of the panel called her a narcissist, uh, that everything's about herself. Uh, and then MacArthur's unfiltered kind of gut level reaction to uh, her name was two words. Um, it was go home. His message to Beth Moore was go home. Uh, and then he followed it up with, with this statement. He said, there is no case that can be made biblically for a woman preacher period paragraph end of discussion okay so let's let's kind of set the context here so we're all on the same page the two scriptures we just read form the basis for MacArthur's uh, understanding of that belief, for the foundation of his belief. Now, I grew up in a little Baptist church uh, down in Clem. That if, if they'd have heard if they heard of of what MacArthur said, they would have stood and cheered and applauded. Okay, it was just that kind of it was that kind of church. Men and women couldn't pray in the altar together. There was a men's side and a women's side. Uh, business in the church was decided in the men's meeting. The, that happened once a month. And then after the men decided what was going to happen, then they brought it to a church conference eventually. And, and it was voted on basically rubber stamped. Um, so that was the women in ministry wasn't even a thing. You, we didn't even talk about it. We, when we left that church when I was 15, we returned to our Pentecostal roots and we rejoined an Assemblies of God church, and that denomination did believe in women in ministry. Now, this church, just full disclosure, this church, Covenant Life, is officially Covenant Life Church of God. We're a, a member of the Church of God denomination with headquarters in Cleveland, Tennessee. And our denomination ordains women in ministry. They are free to be pastors and evangelists and missionaries. But listen, let's don't forget that one day all of us will stand before God. Right? All of us, no matter whether we got our name on a study Bible or whether we we are just a member of a church somewhere, all of us will stand before God and we will be held accountable, not for where we stand in relationship to what a denomination believes, but with what the word of God says. Okay. So it's not about a denominational directive. It's about a scriptural imperative. We have to know what does the word say. So if that means that we have to take an unpopular position because that's what the word of God clearly teaches, then so be it. If we have to endure criticism from an unbelieving culture, then that's what we have to do because we believe in the preeminence of the word of God above all else. It's the ultimate authority. It's the highest authority. And as Paul said to the Romans, let God be true and every man a liar. So it's incumbent upon us to know this word and to study it and to rightly divide the whole counsel of God about it. Not just a verse or two, on a subject, but see what the overall message of God is, uh, to us about any given subject. So we have to know that. Now we also believe that the Bible is inerrant. It's without error and it's inspired. That means we believe that God said it originally clearly and correctly and that the original writers heard it and recorded it clearly and correctly now, has there been room for error through the years? Yes, but the closer you get to the original writings, that, the, the more you recognize the inerrancy and the infallibility of the word. We believe that in that original writing, there were no errors. We believe that in this word of God, there is no contradiction. Okay. Now you have to understand all that in order for us to understand the topic that we're talking about. And if we find in the Bible, if you're reading along and you find what appears to be two contradictory verses or passages, it's an indication that we are misunderstanding one or both of those passages because God cannot lie and he cannot be mistaken. So we have to look for clarity in the context, in the original language, and in the purpose for the writing of that particular book because not everything is for the same reason. Some is poetry, some of the books in the Bible are history, some of them are prophetic, some of them are gospel, some of them are epistles or letters. So there's purposes for everything that's written in the book. And if we're gonna understand what it says and what it means, then we're gonna have to understand why it was written and to whom. So in this conversation, the question that we have to ask ourselves today is what does the Bible teach? Not what does Beth Moore teach or what does John MacArthur teach? What does the Bible say about the role of women in ministry? Okay. So if you are, this is your first time here, you're thinking, Lord Jesus, what have I got myself into? We're not afraid to deal with the issues of the day scripturally because we trust this book. Okay, so we're going to look at it and see what it says. So let's dive in and see what it says. Romans chapter 16, the book of Romans, chapter 16, the first seven verses, then we're going to read verse 12. Uh, I commend you, this is the Apostle Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church in, in Chintria. Welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs for she has been helpful to many and especially to me. Verse 3, give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Jesus Christ. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. I am thankful to them and so are all the Gentile churches. Also give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. Greet my dear friend uh, Epinetus. He was the first person from the province of Asia to become a follower of Christ. Give my greetings to Mary, uh, who has worked so hard for your benefit. G- uh, greet Andronicus and Junia. This is a married couple. Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who were uh, in prison with me. They are highly respected among the apostles and became followers of Christ before I did. And then in verse 12... It says, give my greetings to Trophena and Trephosa, the Lord's workers, and to dear Persis, who has endured, uh, who has worked so hard for the Lord. Now, Phoebe was a deacon in the church. That's what the Bible calls her. She was a deacon. That is an official office and would have been considered one that carried great authority and respect, and it would have carried authority over both men and women in the church, As a matter of fact, in verse two, the word Paul uses there is the feminine form of, of a word that means champion and leader. When he said, she's been a great help to me. He, she, what the word means is she's been a champion. She's been a leader. She's been chief. She's been one who stands out front. Most scholars even believe that Phoebe is the one who carried in her hands, in her possession, the the letter from the Apostle Paul to the Romans, what we now know as the book of Romans, that of all the people Paul had around him, he chose Phoebe to carry this letter to to the church in Rome. That's how important this lady was. In verse 3, he greets Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla, and if my memory serves me, uh, with only one exception, Priscilla is always listed first in when when he talks about Priscilla and Aquila. Which means that what they what they did was they would list first the people who were most most. Uh, Prominent in the relationship or or in that area, so her her being listed first, Priscilla then Aquila, it it even it either proves her uh, her equality with her husband or perhaps even her prominence in that ministry with her husband. They, They were noted as having a church that meets in their house. There are other passages in the Word that talks about them teaching a man named Apollos who was a great and gifted speaker and Priscilla. And Aquila took him in and taught him things in their home. Both of these references to having a church that meets in their house and to their interaction with Apollos and I'm sure with, way, with a whole bunch of other people demonstrates that Priscilla was in fact teaching men. Verse 7 speaks of what appears to be a couple, Andronicus and Junia. Now, some translations uh, record Junius, but, but that's not correct. The Greek is clearly a feminine name. Her name was Junia. They were both imprisoned with Paul. Now, Paul was only ever in prison for one thing. He never got put in jail for assault or for grand larceny or anything like that. Paul got put in prison for preaching the gospel. And that's what, and he said, these people are in the gospel, are in the prison with me, which, which would indicate they were very likely in prison for the same reason that both of them were preaching the gospel. It also says that they were highly respected among the apostles. Now, many scholars understand this to mean that not only were they well respected by the apostles, but that they were both considered to be apostles. An apostle was a, was a preacher and a carrier of the gospel. They were, they were people who went out and established works, established churches, new works all over the country, all over the world at the time. And it was considered to be the highest office in the body of Christ in the early church. And it carried great authority. That's why the apostle Paul and and Peter and James and John and Jude and all these guys could just send a letter and people would would listen to it and read it and do what they said because they carried that much authority. This lady, Junia, and her husband, Andronicus, were both considered to be apostles. Now, three ladies were also mentioned in verse 12. Uh, they Trafosa and Trophina Traf, uh, are considered to be twins. It sounds like it, right? Um, and, and, and one of them means delicate and one of them means dainty. Uh, and then Persis was a, uh, means Persian woman. And, and the context, the verbs, the way uh, Paul phrased the verbs, it sounded like she was a lady who was up in age and was no longer, no longer as active as she used to be. But Paul was saying in this verse, these three ladies, the little dainty one, the little delicate one, and the one that's up in years, these ladies are working their tail off on behalf of the Lord. Amen. And it, it's not, she's fixing, they're not fixing biscuits and gravy. Okay. They are active in the ministry of the Lord. Now here, here's why all this is significant. It's significant because the person, the man who wrote Romans is also the man who wrote first Corinthians and first Timothy that we just read out of. So if he intended to prohibit women from any speaking, from any teaching, from any preaching, from any positions of authority, why would he be so publicly grateful to these women uh, who served in these positions? Why would he have allowed them to serve in those positions? And why would he promote their service and, and commend them to the believers all around the world if he was so, if he was so determined that women should sit down and be quiet? You see the contradiction that's beginning to develop here? Let's keep looking. Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. The next day we went on to Caesarea and stayed at the home of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven men who had been chosen to distribute food. That was back in Acts chapter uh, 7, I think, 7 or 8. Philip had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of prophecy. So, the four daughters of one of the original, really founders of the early church, one of the original deacons, one of the original evangelists, his four daughters were all gifted by the Holy Spirit as prophetesses. Y'all need to use that in a conversation today somewhere. There's a lot of S's in there, so be careful. They, They had the gift of prophecy. Now, what does that mean? Having the gift of prophecy doesn't just mean that they, that you have a god-given ability to foretell future events what it means more often than not is it's the forthtelling it is the it is bringing forth a message from god for a group of people that you're talking to it is closely related to preaching it's definitely not just a person to person kind of gift It was often used in public meetings. As a matter of fact, one of the verses we read to begin with in in, in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, that entire chapter was about regulating the use of of, uh, prophecy and tongues and interpretation in public meetings. So it's clear that the gift of prophecy was used probably primarily in public meetings. And so these four young ladies uh, that that were Philip's daughters would have been participating in, in using their gift in public ways. Here's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 5. But a woman dishonors her head if she prays or prophesies without a covering on her head for this is the same as shaving her head. When you read the entire context of the 11th chapter, it's talking about men and women as they participate in public meetings. And, and the, 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 the goal here, what they're talking about here, is how the people of their culture understood authority and how that's represented. And what Paul said in, in an earlier verse is that men should not pray or prophesy with their head covered, and that women should not pray or prophesy with their heads uncovered because it showed that they were in proper submission to authority. Men in in submission to Christ, women in submission to their husbands. Now why is this significant in this discussion? Why are we even talking about it? say, John, it sounds like Paul's picking on women again. No, because in the very same letter that he says women are to be silent, Paul gives instructions for them, to pray and prophesy in public. He didn't say don't do it. He said when you do it, here's how you do it so that you are not offensive to the culture that you're operating in. It wasn't a prohibition. He was saying here's how you do it appropriately. So how are are they going to pray and prophesy if they are to remain silent? And that's what Paul was talking about. Paul's practice here is in contradiction to the way MacArthur and many other people understand what those two original verses that we read, those two passages were saying. There has to be a different understanding because the Bible cannot contradict itself and still be what it says it is, which is the word of God. Now, let's also don't forget about Deborah in the Old Testament book of Judges. She was called and equipped uh, by God to fill a place of great authority. She decided civil matters and disputes between both men and women. She had the authority to call for military action. She was the commander in chief. She operated in the gift and the office of a prophet. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Why in the world would the God who placed a woman in a position of authority and public declaration in the Old Testament suddenly be opposed to that in the New Testament? Now, let's look at, at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Y'all just soaking this in? You, you see in you the picture here? Acts chapter 1 verse, verses 13 and 14 this is right after the, uh, the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. So he's risen from the dead. He was on earth for 40 days. And Jesus said, listen, y'all go to Jerusalem and wait until the promise, basically wait until the Holy Spirit Shows up and baptizes you, and they were standing there, and uh, the two angels. You remember the two angels came and said, "Hey, what are you standing there looking around for?" Jesus said, "Go to Jerusalem and wait." So they shoot them down toward Jerusalem. So when they arrived in Jerusalem, they went up to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. Here's the roll call of people who showed up. Uh, Five hundred people were on the mountain watching him uh, ascend. These are the people that showed up: Peter, John, James. Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer along with Mary, the mother of Jesus and several other women and the brothers of Jesus. So the Bible teaches us in a, in a later verse, 120 of them were all together, all together. Did you see that? You see who was there? men and women all there together. Now watch what happens in chapter two, verses, verses one uh, and following. Most famous passage of scripture in Pentecostal churches everywhere. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like, a, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. All of them were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire settled on each of them. Didn't skip anybody. Everybody had one. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages or other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability, everyone. At this time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, everybody came running and they were bewildered. You, you're saying, oh, well, they, they were running to hear what the, what the wind storm was. No, they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. All of them. Okay? And then verse, uh, verse 11, and, and so verse 7 through the first half of 11 just lists all those different nationalities, all those different languages that are being spoken. And at the end of that, it says, and we hear all these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They were speaking in tongues. The people had their own interpretation because they were speaking in their languages. Now I want you to notice what happened here. All the believers were gathered together, men and women. All of them were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Men and women. All of them spoke with other tongues. Men and women. All of them spoke out loud in public. The wonderful praises of God in the presence of both men and women. A few verses later, I believe it's in verse 17 and 18, Paul sa- Peter says, this is that. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy by the prophet Joel who said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And then he talks about the spirit being poured out upon your sons and your daughters. Now, let me ask you something. If God filled these women and worked through these women in such a a public way on the day of Pentecost in the the fulfillment of a prophecy that was hundreds of years old, why in the world would he suddenly change his mind and tell them to sit down and shut up? Amen, that's right. It doesn't make any sense. When you seek out the whole counsel of God, when you look at the full picture in the book, you have to conclude that there must be another way to understand those passages in 1 Timothy and in 1 Corinthians 14. There have to be. Here's here's more evidence. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 11 and 12. This is right after he's talking about men, you shouldn't pray or prophesy with your head covered. Women, you shouldn't pray or prophesy with your head uncovered. He continues that discussion for a few verses. And then he says, but among the Lord's people. So listen, there's a difference in what might happen in the culture and in God's people. He's saying among the Lord's people, women are not independent of men and men are not independent of women. For although the woman came from man, and that was the argument, well, the man came first and the woman came from the man's side. Although the the first woman came from man, every other man was born from a woman. And everything comes from God. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now listen, are there gender related distinctions in the word of God? Yes. Marriage is between one man and one woman. Husbands are the humble heads of, and the self-sacrificing coverings for their wives, just as Christ is for the church. But when it comes to the gifts and the callings of God, all the distinctions of race and class and gender have been erased. Black or white, male or female, rich or poor, we are all equally called to the Great Commission to go and make disciples of Jesus Christ. We cannot operate and should not operate independently of each other. One gender is not greater than the other. One is not to go forth and the other to go home. We need all hands on deck to reach this world for Jesus Christ. And so let me help you draw this biblical conclusion. Yes, women can teach. Yes, women can preach. Yes, women can prophesy. Yes, women can pray. Yes, women can lead. The Bible and church history is full of women who did those things and did them well, and we're all here because of that. Amen. Right. So let's go back and deal with those two passages of Scripture that we read at the beginning. So you have to understand some things in order to understand the Bible. If you know when you got saved, you just like crack open the Bible, you're like, what in the world is all that? A few things you need to understand. Much of the New Testament... um, Nailed it. Much of the New Testament is comprised of epistles. Those are letters to either particular people or particular churches from one of the apostles. In most cases, the letters were written uh, to address the concerns that the apostle had for that church or to answer questions that the people of that church had for the apostle. And the problem is we, don't have, we have the response, we don't always have the initial letter. Like we don't get to read the questions. We only read the answers. It's, it's a little bit like hearing a phone conversation without the benefit of speakerphone so that you hear both sides. Y'all ever listen to like one side of a phone conversation? And when they get off, you're like, what in the world are you talking about? And then they tell you the context of the conversation. And you're like, oh, okay. Well, that's not what I was getting out of that at all. And, and, and everything's fine right? How many fights have started in your house? Cause he didn't hear the other side of the conversation or she didn't. All right. So we understand it, it's, it's difficult. That's why context is so important in understanding scripture. If they're answering a question and you don't get the question, then, then you got to slow down and, and, and don't jump to conclusions. So what we do know about the early church is that um, it was a hot mess. It, it, there was just tons of heresy, false teaching, going on. There there was tons of idolatry in the early church. The Jews were trying to mix in Judaism to Christianity. The Gentiles were trying to incorporate paganism and idolatry into Christianity. The Greeks were blending in all of this high-minded philosophy, and it was just a mess to sort through. And then you have cultural issues to deal with as well, as far as how the genders related to each other and interacted with each other, how educated or uneducated women were allowed to be in the culture, whether they had rights under the law or, or not, those kinds of issues complicated and, and mixed up the church. And so the, the apostles were constantly putting out little fires, answering questions and trying to wade through all of that craziness Okay. And so it's into that, that Paul is trying to write to Timothy and trying to write to the Corinthian church. Now, in the research that I, that I was doing this week, uh, I, a man that I've, I've looked at his writings many, many times, his name is Dr. Roger Barrier. He pastors at Casas Church in Arizona. Uh, and he said this, Jewish women were not allowed in the synagogues in the, in the Jewish faith. They, they didn't get to come in with the men they had to stay in another place out of sight, out of earshot. One of their rabbis very famously said, I would rather see a, a scroll of the law burned than to see it taught to a woman. Okay, so that's the mindset. That's the mi- I didn't say that's my opinion, so y'all stop that. That was the mindset in the culture, okay? The Greeks were no better, the Greeks were no better. The, the Greek language is a very beautiful and specific language. It, it, they have words for everything, for every connotation, for every nuance, for every twist. Like they've got four words for one. Our one word love, and they talk about brotherly love, and they talk about uh, you know all a family love and a friend love and an agape, uh, uh, unconditional kind of like all that stuff. But would you believe in the Greek language? There is not a word for wife. It's just woman. There's no distinction between a wife and any other woman in, in the whole language. That tells you the value that they placed on the position that a woman held in their, um, in their, in their culture. So you can understand that when Paul is, is ushering in and introducing Christianity, how revolutionary this is for them that women weren't even allowed into the church, into the public meetings for Jews, but but now they're allowed to come in and they're allowed to pray and they're allowed to prophesy. You can see that it would have caused quite a stir uh, and, and, and really would stretch their cultural sensibilities. It was just completely opposite of everything they had ever been taught in their lives. And so now you see this really progressive step. This is part of the reason why Christianity was so hated and so persecuted in the the early church because it was flipping upside down. You you understand all of the way the culture is structured. And they said, I don't care if you're a slave or if you're a slave owner. What? Nobody says that. Nobody talks like that. I don't care if you're a Jew or a Gentile. They hated each other, wouldn't talk to each other. Don't care if you're male or or, or female. I don't even have a word for you over there, woman. Right? You understand how mind-blowing this was for them. So in 1 Corinthians 14, when Paul says, women should be silent and submitted, And that's in verse 34. And then in 35, he says, if you have any questions, you can ask your husbands at home. Many scholars see that as the key to understanding the two verses. Paul was instructing ladies who were disrupting the service with questions about spiritual gifts. Read the whole chapter of of, um, 1 Corinthians 14 is uh, is about spiritual gifts. It's about prophecy and tongues and interpretation being operated in a public meeting. And then at the end of that, and Paul's talking about, Hey, everything's got to be done decently. Everything needs to be in order. You need to consider what's going on so that every, everybody can understand everything that's going on. And then he says, y'all need to be quiet in those meetings. And the, and and what they're understanding from that is many times the, the ladies were, they were allowed in, but they were in a separate section from the men. I've, I've even been to some churches where the women sat in different section than the men. And, and, and so the women, they were having all these, um, all these gifts of the spirit going on. And the women were, had, they had questions. And so they're like yelling to their husbands in the other section. Hey, Brutus, what did he say? I couldn't hear it back here. Brutus is not really a theological. And that actually came from Popeye. But anyway, <laughs> like, hey, Brutus, like, what'd they say? What, what was all that about? And Paul's like, Lady please be quiet. We're trying to make sure everybody can hear everything and you yelling across the church ain't helping anybody. So would you please ask your husband when you get home or like pull out the scroll and write a note or something, but don't scream at him across the congregation. That's, that's the understanding of what that means in 1 Corinthians 14. Let's look at the, uh, the, other, uh, the other passage in 1 Timothy um, He again repeats, women should be quiet and submissive. And don't you think that if they had this issue in one in one city, they probably had it in another city as well? But but he adds, in this case, he adds that women shouldn't teach or be an authority over men. Now let's deal with the issue of authority first. the The word that Paul used there is that really better translated usurp authority. I don't allow women to usurp authority over men. And and what that means is she should not dominate. She should not take what does not belong to her. She shouldn't have an undue or unauthorized position over a man. It really speaks to how the lady assumes the authority of position, the the position of authority and and not to uh, really that she has it at all. It wasn't saying you can't do it. It's saying you need to do it Properly, so if the apostle appoints her to that position, uh, then that's a duly appointed position. She's not usurping anybody's authority; she, it was granted to her. Or if the people have uh, have asked her to rise to that position, that's not usurping. It would appear that that would be in order. Now, as to the issue of, of a woman teaching or or speaking, teaching a man, m- many scholars believe that what Paul was trying to do for Timothy was help him address. A specific heresy that was going on, or help him address a specific cultural issue that was going on and, and was helping Timothy to fight against that and it appears that the heresy that was going on was involving the creation account and the gender roles that, that God established in Genesis two and three, because Paul references that after, he, after these two verses, Paul references that creation account and he's trying to help them sort out exactly what goes with what what? So that Timothy can help uh, put down that heresy. And again, it it appears clear from Scripture there were so many times that Paul approved of women teaching men that that we can't understand that passage to, to mean that it was a universal and perpetual law. It has to be a specific issue or a specific cultural issue that he was trying to deal with. So again, let me say this clearly. Yes, Women have the right to teach and to preach and to lead with God's blessing and with God's gifting and with God's anointing and with God's favor. History is full of great women of God who have served the Lord and He has used them mightily to change the world for the benefit of the kingdom of God. Let me give you some examples so that you can understand the impact. We're not just talking about Not that there's anything wrong with this, but we're not just talking about a lady teaching a Sunday school class. We're talking about women who have changed the world with their ministries. Elizabeth Elliot is one of those women. Elizabeth's uh, husband was Jim Elliot, and he was killed on a missionary trip. He went to bring the gospel to an aboriginal tribe in Ecuador, a place of people who had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they killed him. Elizabeth, his wife, went back to the very same tribe of people who had killed her husband and preached the gospel to them, and they received the gospel, and they began to get saved, and, and, and the, 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 the gospel expanded, and that tribe became a Christian tribe, preaching them because she preached the gospel to the very same people who had killed her husband. She went on to speak extensively all over the world. She was on the committee to help translate the NIV Bible. It was a woman that God had used mightily in those positions. Women like Sojourner Truth from the 1800s. She was an African-American itinerant evangelist who had escaped from the horrors of slavery. She was a leading voice in two major issues that changed the culture of the United States. One, the the voting rights and the civil rights of women. And the other was she was a vital voice in the abolitionist movement in the 1830s and 40s to, to help America finally end the, the system of slavery in our nation. Because of her and the other voices that joined with her, voices like Frederick Douglass and many others who joined with her, millions of slaves were freed from captivity. We're talking about women like Henrietta Mears. You've probably never heard her name before, but she is one of my personal heroes. She was a woman from a little town in Minnesota, served in her local Baptist church before moving out to Hollywood to serve at the Hollywood Presbyterian Church in the 1920s. she, She served as the minister of education in that church. And uh, she was such an innovative, such a groundbreaking woman that, that it just impacted the, the ripple effect from her ministry really did change 20th century America. Uh, let me tell you how. When it, was her, it was her job to have curriculum for kids in Hollywood Presbyterian Church. When she looked at the material, she said, this is the most boring ridiculous stuff I've ever seen. Like the word of God is awesome and innovative and interesting. And we've made it as mindless and boring as we can possibly make it. So she threw it away and she wrote her own curriculum and it was so good. Other churches began to ask for it. And it eventually became what's now known as gospel light publishing house. And and she established that publishing company with a typewriter in her garage And and then went on to establish more, uh, two more international publishing companies. She's most famous, however, for her Sunday school class. Her, I would say a small group, but it wasn't a small group. There were two or three or 400 college kids that would show up for her class. It was literally across the street from the campus of University of Southern California, so USC. And she taught the Bible in such powerful ways that it got the attention of the, of the big muckety mucks in Hollywood, in the golden era of Hollywood. They would come to her class. Actors and actresses would come, athletes, uh, people from USC, all kinds of people. But she taught in such, in such a powerful way that it was impossible not to respond, impossible not to learn and do what she said. They just called her teacher. They called her teacher. From her class emerged a whole generation of Christian leaders that really turned the world upside down, starting in the United States. Listen to this legacy of people, Bill and Vonette Bright. Both of them were in her class. They are the founders of Campus Crusade for Christ, which has ministered to millions of people throughout the world, 25,000 missionaries now in 191 countries, and they're on the campuses of 1,700 colleges and universities and they answered the call to ministry in Henrietta Mears' class. A man named Dawson Trotman who founded the Navigators. The Navigators now have 4,600 staff members in 103 nations as they teach and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. A man named Jim Rayburn who founded Young Life Ministries. They have camps youth camps all around the country. They have 700 ministries in 324 cities around the world. Richard Halverson, who went on to be for 15 years, was the chaplain of the United States Senate. Lord, if there's ever been a mission field, the United States Senate. And then he went on to to establish and was the chairman of World Vision for 20 years. You might have heard of this guy, 40th president of the United States, Ronald Reagan, sat in her class, Henrietta Mears' class, and was taught the word of God by this lady they called the teacher. And then uh, a little-known evangelist from North Carolina, Billy Graham, was in her Sunday school class. Right before he went on to, and she played a key role right before he went on to have his 1949 Hollywood crusade, where so many of the stars got saved, where a man named Louis Zamperini, who now his life is a book, an incredible book, and two movies called Unbroken. It tells the story of Louis Zamperini. Louis Zamperini came to the 49 um, crusade of Billy Graham's and got saved and has seen many people saved because of him. And then Billy Graham is the man who is, is the one person on earth who has preached the gospel to more people than anybody else ever in history. And let's not forget the millions and millions of women who have taught Sunday school classes, not just for boys and girls, but for men and women teaching them the Word of God. And, and they, they filled classes that otherwise would have gone empty because men either wouldn't or couldn't do the job. And I could just go on and on. But I think you get the point by now. Now, thank you, Chris. I am not... Chris and I understand each other. I am not personal friends with Beth Moore. Okay, She does not know... I exist. She probably don't know where Bremen is. So like the closest that I come to Beth Moore is that I follow her on Twitter and she don't follow me back. And yes, my feelings are hurt a little bit, but she does not care what my opinion is, all right? She's never gonna hear this message. But for what it's worth, my message to Beth Moore is not go home, it's go on, right? Keep going keep preaching, keep teaching, keep speaking, keep serving, keep seeking God. Ignore the people who are trying to pull you down. What somebody said, what, what did Beth Moore do this week? I said, nothing. She just living. And just the fact that she's living and following God's call for her life made her the target of somebody who was rude and hateful. Even if you disagree, you can do it respectfully. And That's not what happened this week. And she dealt with it with such grace and with such class as she always did. And the only thing that I could see that she addressed directly to it was y'all be respectful when you're voicing your opinions about John MacArthur because he's done a lot of good for a lot of people. Right? That's the character of Christ. That's the character of Christ. So if you don't mind, everybody stand with me today. I appreciate your indulgence. It's important. This is important. Our our belief system is under attack. Christianity is under attack. People want to, they want to dilute it. They want to pollute it. They want to intermingle it with other things. They they, they want us to to be more like the culture than like the Word of God. And, And we have to know what we believe and why we believe it. It's not enough to just say, well, I believe in women preaching because that's just the way the culture's going. We can't always go the way the culture goes. Amen. So you have to know what the word of God says. So I'm gonna, ask, I'm gonna ask you to do something a little different. I'm gonna ask all of the ladies to come to the altar if you don't mind. You can come together, nothing scary, no matter what age. I don't care if you're six years old and skip kids church today. We won't tell Miss Caitlin, all of you females, y'all come on down, please. That's funny, you ladies all bunch up. If, the men, if I asked the men, they'd be they'd be in a single file line as far away from each other as they can. Y'all 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 are tight. Y'all come on in. Good Lord, there's a bunch of you. Y'all come on in. Y'all make room. There's more behind you. That'll preach too. listen, that's, I don't want to over-spiritualize it, but that's prophetic there. There are more behind you. There are more girls behind you. You have a responsibility to them to show them the way. You have a responsibility to open doors for them that have been closed for you. That's the way the gospel gets passed from generation to generation from faith to faith. So ladies, I want to, I want to say this to you, then I want us to pray together. Um, I'm sorry. That's what I want to say to you. I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry that people have abused you with scripture men. I'm sorry that men have abused you with scripture. I'm sorry that people have told you, no, when God was telling you, yes. I'm sorry for the conflict that you had inside of yourself as you're struggling to figure out is this really God that I'm hearing or is this am I missing God? I'm sorry for every door of ministry that was closed in your face. I'm sorry for the ways that you were belittled and put down by men in authority. I'm sorry for the subtle and sometimes not so subtle ways that you were told your opinions didn't matter, that your gifts were not wanted or not needed or were not authentic, that your contributions were less important than other people's? I'm sorry. But today is a new day. And you still have breath in your lungs and you still have life in your limbs. Today, if you've not heard it before, you've heard the truth of God's Word. Today you've been set free. And so today I want to call forth every gift and calling of God that he's placed in you. Every gift and calling that you've suppressed because you didn't think you could, you didn't think you were supposed to, you can. You can. If God is calling you, you can. You see, I'm tired of the church losing some of our best leaders to the marketplace because we've not given ladies room to lead when they have the gift of leadership. So I want you to know there is a place for you here. There is a place for you in the body of Christ. There is a place. There uh, there are leaders in this altar. There are leaders and there are preachers and there are teachers and there are servants. There, There are clean open, empty vessels that God is ready to fill. He's willing and able to fill you with his spirit and with his gifts and his callings and his opportunities. And so I want to, I want to encourage you today to stir up the gifts that are within you. Stir them up, stir them up, Don't don't just sit there. Don't sit back. Don't hold back. Don't back down from what God has called you to be. Do I believe that every one of you are preachers? No. No, Nor do I believe that every one of these guys behind you is a preacher. I just want you to know that the shackles have been taken off, that the box has fallen down, and you are free to go and do what God has called you to do. So I want to pray over you. Would y'all... Do whatever women do, you know, hug or hold hands or touch. Y'all just make contact somewhere. I ain't telling you what to do. (laughs) Y'all do, yeah, I I don't know what that is. Let's pray. Lord, I just speak blessing over these ladies today wonderful, powerful women of God who are in this altar. Lord, I just pray your blessing over them, your favor over them. God, would you just, would you make your calling uh, and appointment clear for them? Help them to hear you speak clearly. Lord, I pray that you would heal them from every wound and from every hurt from being told no when you've been saying yes, God, would you heal them from that, that they could forgive those men, that they, that they could forgive the people who have held them down. And Lord, I, whether they whether those men are sorry or not, whether they believe they were wrong or not, you can still heal these ladies. You can still set them free from the things that they were told and things that were done to them. Lord, I pray that you would heal them. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to break every curse that's been spoken against them, every negative word, that every tongue that's been raised against them to to hurt them and to harm them and to lie against them and to tell them things that are not true. Lord, I pray that you would silence every tongue that's raised against them and, Lord, that they would cancel every vow that's been spoken against them and they would walk into the future free and clear with, with a relationship with you, full of your spirit, full of your power, hearing you clearly when you call them. Lord, I pray. I pray for every person in their individual callings. Every one of these ladies, some of them will teach and preach and lead. And some of them won't. Some of them will serve quietly in the background. But Lord, I pray that they recognize that they're doing that because that's what they're called to do, not because that's what they have to do. Lord, help us all, men and women, to find our our pleasure, to find our peace, to find our prosperity in serving you exactly the way you've gifted us and called us to. Lord, we need this. The harvest is white. Would you send forth laborers, Lord, men and women, boys and girls, to go into the harvest and see souls saved for your honor and for your glory. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.